Welcome to Best Life After Cancer. I'm so glad you're here. This is the podcast where cancer survivors and caregivers can get solutions and support to overcome the life challenges brought by their cancer diagnosis. If you are ready to release your fear, regain your joy, and reduce your risk, you're in the right place. I'm your host, Dr. Deborah Blitzbach. This morning, I am so excited to have Dr. Alex Al with us. He is an amazing plastic surgeon and does really beautiful reconstructive work for some of the breast cancer patients that we share. He's going to talk to you today about some of his experience, the different options that are available for patients, and really what the pros and cons are of all the different procedures. So Alex, it's so nice to have you. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it too. All right. So when we start talking about reconstructive work with patients, I know you give them a lot of different options. Can you just take a few minutes and sort of run through what the different reconstructive options are for patients and really a little bit about what they entail? Sure. I think it really boils down to initially when a patient comes in, my first goal is to determine what surgery they're having for their breast cancer. So sometimes we'll actually see patients who are planning on having a lumpectomy, and sometimes we'll see patients that are having a mastectomy. And, you know, I think it's important that people know that even if someone's having a lumpectomy, there are some plastic surgery options for those patients as well. So with a lumpectomy, you know, not all of the breast tissues are removed. And sometimes patients have a lumpectomy alone, and the shape and size of their breast is perfectly fine. But there are some patients where with a lumpectomy, the breast surgeons, the oncologic surgeons need to take a bigger area out. And that can leave the patient's breasts asymmetric or not balanced with the other side or change the shape of the breast. So in those cases, oftentimes we'll see a patient and we'll actually do almost like a breast reduction or a lift on the cancer side and then balance the other breast again with a breast reduction type technique. And that really gives patients a good balance or symmetry between their breasts. And a lot of patients actually have issues with large breasts before they're diagnosed with breast cancer. And a breast reduction or a lift can be kind of a silver lining. For sure. Having to have surgery. So I think that's one option that's not necessarily super well known by patients and some other providers. I think that's definitely true. And really, I think so many patients, when they have that option, they come out so much happier with their breasts afterwards than they were before. Really is a nice thing for the people who do go down that route. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. The other options are for when a patient has a mastectomy or if all of the breast tissue is removed. Now, I tell patients in that situation that there are some patients that are candidates for nipple sparing mastectomies. Mm -hmm. Um, And the good part of that discussion, they have with their breast oncologist or their cancer surgeon as well, because there's a couple different criteria and some different aspects that go into whether or not a patient can save the nipple. But one thing that I tell the patients is that for the most part, most of the skin of their breast remains. So the big question is, how do we rebuild the size and shape of the breast that essentially fills that skin? There are two main ways that I tell patients. So the first is with a tissue expander and an implant. So implant-based breast reconstruction. Uh, The second option is using their own tissue, their own skin and fat, usually from the lower part of the belly. And that's either called a muscle sparing tram flap or a deep flap. So I go through those different options with patients. And basically it's narrowed down 
depending on the patient's preference. Mm -hmm. Sometimes patients don't like the idea of an implant. Sometimes patients don't like the idea of a bigger surgery, like taking their own tissue from somewhere else on the body. So there's pros and cons to each of those. And then also based on my physical exam, seeing if a patient has enough tissue to use their belly or other parts of their body. And also one thing that often comes into play is if someone has had radiation to the breast before, they've had a breast cancer before and have had radiation, or there's a high risk of needing radiation in the future, for those patients, radiation does not generally mix very well with breast expanders or implants. For sure. Um, So if someone's a great candidate based on how much tissue they have in their belly and they want that type of surgery, and there's a possibility they'll need radiation, then that person's a great candidate to use their own tissue. So there's a lot of different factors. And I think the important part for us as plastic surgeons is that we really kind of evaluate the whole picture. And we have that thorough discussion with patients about what best fits them, both with their feelings about what they would like, and also about those additional treatments like radiation, which could affect the outcomes of reconstruction. Sure. So let's start with talking a little bit about implants. So can you describe the procedure of how we do an implant-based reconstruction? Because you and I both know that that's not the implant that goes in at the start, but I think that that's something that sometimes patients are a little confused about. Sure. So it's a very common question about why we don't put an implant in right off the bat. One thing I tell patients is that when a mastectomy is done, some of the blood vessels that actually go to the skin of their breast are cut and that breast tissue is removed. So the blood flow is decreased to the breast skin. Now, if we put a full-size implant in right off the bat, that implant tends to be bigger and heavier and is pushing on that skin. And there's a slightly higher risk of wound healing problems and infection if we do that. So oftentimes what we'll do is at the time of the mastectomy, we'll put in a tissue expander which is essentially an adjustable implant. Now that expander is not totally full at first. And because it's not totally full, it really lets a woman's breast skin kind of recover from the mastectomy. So we wait a few weeks. um, And then what we do is in the office, we're able to start filling that expander. And what it does is the skin has had a chance to recover. So now once it's recovered, we start kind of stretching that skin back out to make a nice space for the final implant. So over the course of a handful of weeks, we fill that expander on a weekly basis. And sometimes it's every other week, depending on the patient's schedule and how they're feeling. And ultimately, once we get to a nice size that that fills out the patient's bras or fills out their clothes well, or has a nice match with the other side, once we get to a nice size, we wait a few weeks to let the skin settle down from being stretched out. And then we do a second small surgery where we go back and we take that expander out and put in the final implant. Usually expander implant reconstruction is kind of a two-stage procedure. But what I do is I also tell patients that over that course, as the expander is being filled and they're waiting for that second surgery to have the final implant put in, it's not like those women are laid up in bed or they can't do normal stuff. Usually by about three to four weeks out from the initial surgery, we're trying to get women back to their normal routines and kind of getting back to normal life. It's just that they need to come see me each week. And then that second surgery is kind of planned down the road. Right. 
So I think from my standpoint as a radiation oncologist, as you alluded to earlier, this is sort of our less preferred reconstructive method when we know they're going to need radiation because it really does have potentially so many issues after radiation. You know, Mm -hmm. we know that there's definitely risk of capsular contracture where the implant gets very tight and firm and limited in the body. And I find that patients often chronically have a lot of discomfort after radiation with implants. One of the other things that's always a challenge when we're doing radiation is we're pushing you to get them filled as quickly as possible (laughs) because we usually want to start four to six weeks after surgery. And a lot of times that's a challenge for the patients trying to get these things completely filled in four to six weeks. And the reason for this is, is we can't do the planning until it's completely filled, because if you fill it more, once we do the planning, then the planning is not valid because the size and shape of the breast have changed and you aren't hitting everything and you're potentially not getting enough dose in if the breast is bigger than when you did the planning appointment. So you and I talk a lot about that when we've got these patients, you know, in terms of trying to get all our ducks in a row. Sure. True. You know, one interesting thing is that traditionally expanders and implants have gone underneath the pec muscle. So normally our pec muscle on the chest is meant to be down on the chest wall. And we traditionally put the expander underneath that muscle so that that muscle can give extra protection and kind of coverage over the expander in case there are any skin healing problems or anything like that. Over the last several years, plastic surgeons have transitioned or at least developed some newer techniques to put the expander in the implant in front of the pec muscle. And that's done for a couple of reasons. The first is it's much more comfortable for patients. So not having that muscle stretched out as you fill that expander is much more comfortable. And the other main reason is that when a patient has an expander and implant underneath the muscle, when they lift something heavy or really flex that muscle, sometimes the shape of the breast changes. Mm. So by putting the implant on top, we're hopefully getting a nicer appearance of the breast, even when someone's doing a lot of physical activity. Um, Those are the main reasons we've started this pre-pectoral or in front of the pec muscle reconstruction with implants. One of the things that I've noticed since I've started doing that is in patients that do get radiated with a pre-pectoral reconstruction, I found that the capsular contracture, and especially the pain, tends to be much less for those patients. And I I don't know exactly why, but my thought is that the radiation may be affecting the pec muscle in for sure if it's laying in, in front, and that the tightness of the muscle may be what's causing more discomfort as opposed to the entire amount of scar tissue just around the implant. And I've actually been really surprised and actually happy with how patients who have prepectoral reconstruction have done with radiation. So, you know, we're constantly evolving our techniques and trying to change things for the better for patients. And that's one thing that I think has really made a difference. That makes so much sense. I actually have even patients who have not had any reconstruction, who have a lot of tightness and fibrosis of the pectoralis. And I often recommend Pilates and yoga for that, because I think that helps to keep things a little more pliable and helps to keep things stretched out for them, because that's definitely an issue, even in people who just have radiation with no reconstruction is that pectoralis fibrosis. So that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. 
in terms of who the ideal candidates are for an implant reconstruction instead of a flap reconstruction, who would you say are the best candidates for that? Sure. So definitely patients who are non-smokers, because again, the blood flow to that breast skin gets changed with the mastectomy. Smoking also decreases blood flow. And if there's wound healing problems, you know, that's a setup for infection with an implant. So, so non-smokers, I always assess when I'm examining a patient, the quality or how healthy their skin of their breast looks. So that's another criteria. Patients who don't have enough belly tissue or tissue from their thighs for using their own tissue are certainly candidates. And there are some women who, again, don't want a bigger surgery right. taking the tissue from somewhere else. And then, like I said, what we've mentioned and we've been discussing, patients that have had radiation in the past generally aren't great candidates for, for, sure. um, for an implant alone. I agree. What is the difference in time of the surgery for an implant versus a flap? How much time does it take in the operating room to do an implant reconstruction? Well, I think it gets a little complicated if we're talking about one breast versus two. Um, <laughs> Let's say so, one breast. All right. So if we're talking about one breast, I can actually start getting the expander ready as the breast surgeon is still finishing the mastectomy. So to do just one breast, just putting the expander adds maybe 30 to 45 minutes onto the surgery. Um, and in general, uh, the mastectomy takes about an hour. So for one breast, it's about an hour and a half to two hours in the operating room for everything. If we were doing the flap surgery, and again, usually the flap surgery, we're using belly tissue. Again, I start operating on the patient's belly while the breast surgeon is working on the breast. So we try and save patients time under anesthesia. In general, from start to finish, the flap surgery for one side takes about four to five hours. Yeah, much longer for sure. Definitely longer, definitely longer. But I do tell patients that for the patient, it's a longer surgery and there are some risks, particularly from longer anesthesia and the risk of DVT or a PE, which is a blood clot in the legs or the lungs from a longer surgery. But in general, for the patient, that longer flap surgery feels like a few minutes. When they wake up, it, yeah. it feels like they just went to sleep. Yeah, it doesn't matter for the patient because you have the same experience of time, whether it's a 10-minute surgery or a 10-hour surgery. Yeah, you, know, you don't have any experience of the time passing. Yeah. So we try and decrease, obviously, the other risks, like those blood clots, the DVT and the PE from a longer surgery. But yeah, patients generally feel that it's been the same amount of time. It is a lot different for family members that are waiting for the <laughs> update on how things went. But um, yeah, the, the family waiting in the in the waiting room has a much longer wait. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So in terms of a flap reconstruction, can you tell us the different types of flap reconstructions? Sure. So the most common breast reconstruction or autologous using someone's own tissue reconstruction that we offer is using the lower part of the belly. It's basically taking a patient's own skin and fat from essentially the belly button level down to where like a C-section type scar would be. And what we do is we actually remove that belly tissue from the patient's belly. It gets totally separated from their body. We bring it up to the breast area after the mastectomy has been done. And for that skin and fat to stay alive and be healthy and soft like a natural breast, it needs good blood flow. So when I remove that belly fat, I'm actually taking an artery and a vein attached to the belly fat. 
And when I bring it up to the chest, I actually sew an artery and vein back together to an artery and vein in the chest. So we, I fix the blood flow. That's kind of the really technical part of the surgery. And then once the blood flow is fixed, then I mold that skin and fat to reconstruct the breast and close the incisions, both in the breast and the belly. There are risks with that surgery. There could be a blood clot that blocks the blood flow going into or coming out of that belly tissue. There's also the risk of scarring and, and what's called fat necrosis, meaning that the main blood vessels I sewed back together are open, but that some of that fat from the belly can turn into scar tissue and be like a hard lump. So those are some of the downsides, you know, to the belly tissue. But in general, the belly tissue, and it's called either a deep flap, D-I-E-P, or a muscle sparing tram flap. Those two flaps are probably the most reliable, dependable, kind of most used flaps for autologous breast reconstruction. Now, some patients aren't candidates for using their belly tissue, whether either they don't have enough belly tissue or they've had multiple surgeries on their belly before, or they've had a tummy tuck. Mm -hmm. um, Does a C-section disqualify you for that? No, a C-section doesn't because it's very rare that when a C-section is done that the blood vessels that we need could have been injured. I do a ton of free flap breast reconstruction on patients that have C-sections and it's almost always fine. There are those few cases though, where those blood vessels don't work and we, you know, we come up with an alternative plan. Mm -hmm. So anyway, the, the belly is the most common spot. There are other areas. So, you know, we can take tissue from the inner thigh called a tug flap. We can do a pap flap, which is kind of the posterior thigh buttock area. Those are some of the other alternatives. Really, the belly is the most reliable. Mm -hmm. So those other alternatives would be kind of a little more rare situation. Yeah. And they also have their downsides, you know, like a tug flap, which is from the inner thigh, probably has a little higher risk of fat necrosis or, or more firm lumps and bumps. The pap flap, which is from the posterior thigh, the buttock area, requires some special imaging beforehand because the blood vessels we need to... to dissect and free up are a little more variable. So there's pros and cons to everything. But again, mm -hmm. I think the main thing is that the belly is probably the most reliable, except in some, some special situations. Yeah. From my standpoint, these end up looking a lot better after radiation than the implants do. That's yeah. at least my experience with this. Yeah. And I think that it, it's important for patients to know that radiation can still affect a free flat breast reconstruction. For sure. Um, and what can happen is the skin can tighten up a little bit. The breast can look a little, a little smaller and lifted compared to the other side. But that's not the end of the world because we can always go back three, six months later. And sometimes what we do is actually do a lift uh, or a small breast reduction on the other side to get the balance. Yeah. Again, it's not the end of the world with radiation. I always tell patients that the plastic surgeons hate the radiation oncologists because we ruin their beautiful work. <laughs> uh, I wouldn't say hate. I, I mean, we all, I think I, part of, the, some of the, some of that's kind of true, but not exactly. So I think, uh, you know, in you your know, heart, that's a little bit true. <laughs> no, well, radiation certainly can be a tough thing. But what I do is I tell the patients, look, you know, it, the radiation is great at zapping any little tumor right. cells that are left behind. It also zaps the healthy tissue, but we work our way around it. And I right. think that's, that's important for, you know, even patients that haven't had radiation to know that 
there may be some things that that don't turn out the best, that one side may be a little bit bigger than the other, that right. there can be some little differences. But as much as I can, I'm always willing to work with patients on getting the, the absolute best result possible. And there's always some other little touch-up procedures we can do. And you know, as plastic surgeons, we do our absolute best to get everyone back to whole and feeling right. whole and happy again. So, you know, one of the things that I tell patients all the time is that really we want the breast to look as good as we can, but a beautiful breast is only useful if you're alive and healthy. So we take the downside of the radiation, making it not look as good to increase the odds of them being alive and healthy to enjoy that, the results of your surgery, which I think helps sort of put that into perspective a little bit for them. That is, that's a great point. What are your thoughts on the deep flaps in terms of smokers? Sure. So in patients who are smokers, I think the important thing to remember is that those patients are at higher risk for wound healing issues, whether they have expander and implant reconstruction or deep flap reconstruction. And if someone has an implant or an expander in and has a wound healing problem on the breast, the, the risk with wound healing issues is infection and possibly having to remove that expander, which can be you know, a, a fairly involved process because then you would have to restart reconstruction. So um, for a deep flap, if there was a wound healing issue of the breast skin after the flap, the good thing about that is they have their own belly fat and tissue underneath that wound. So it can take antibiotics, it can take dressing changes to get that to heal. But the good thing is that they have their own tissue there. So it's not like an implant's getting infected and having to be removed. So, so there are certainly downsides to infections, you know, and wound healing issues in smokers, but a deep flat, in my opinion, tends to handle those, those complications a little bit better. There are with deep flaps, the additional surgical site. So there's a big incision on the patient's belly that needs to heal that can also have wound healing issues. And I think smoking is certainly a risk factor for that, for wound healing issues, like an open wound on the belly that takes several weeks to heal. I also tell patients who are actively smoking that their risk of a hernia in the belly is higher after a deep flap than someone who's not smoking. So one thing I didn't mention is when I take those blood vessels out that are attached to the belly fat, I actually go a little bit deeper to get those, those blood vessels. There's the risk of a hernia or a bulge in the belly at the site where I went deeper to get those blood vessels. So smokers are certainly higher risk of a hernia there too. So smoking, you know, in, in for me does not rule out a patient as being a candidate for having a flap surgery, but I make sure that they know that those risks that we mentioned are increased. Some patients come in and have a higher BMI. The ratio of their weight to their height is high and some patients are obese. Those patients are also at higher risk for some complications from the flap surgery in the breast area, but obese patients are definitely at higher risk for some wound healing issues in the belly. And again, I try and, you know, make sure that patients are aware of that. We do everything we can to prevent that, but, but they are definitely higher risk. For sure. What is your experience with nipple reconstruction or tattooing? What's your preference with that? I've definitely seen some really beautiful 3D nipple tattooing, which is pretty amazing in what they can do. Yeah, it is. It really is. So the reconstruction of the nipple and areola comes 
a bit down the road after we've gotten the size and the shape of the breasts reconstructed. And when I first started practice 10 years ago, almost every patient, I, I reconstructed their nipple surgically. And what that means is I just use some of the skin on the breast uh, in the area where the nipple would be, and I kind of lift it up and fold it on itself to make a raised nipple. Once that was healed, then we would tattoo around the nipple for the areola. And what, I, what I've come to realize over time is that the outcome of nipple reconstruction surgically can vary. So we make this raised nipple, and I actually try and make it so it sticks up a little too much at first. Because as that patient's body forms scar tissue, it tends to pull the nipple down a bit and decrease how much it sticks up. The toughest part is that it's hard to judge exactly how much a patient's scar tissue is going to pull that nipple down. So it can be different one side to the other. And sometimes you go through this procedure, and even though it's not a major one, it's still a surgery, and you just wind up with a little bump for the nipple that kind of frustrated me a little bit and still kind of frustrates me. So as 3D nipple tattooing has gotten so much better, I mean, uh, the tattoo artists that we work with, and there's other tattoo artists uh, in the area and the nation, they can do a tattoo that literally almost no one would tell that there was not a nipple and an areola there, unless you're actually looking from the side and you see that there's no projected nipple. As those tattoos have gotten so good, a lot of my patients have transferred over instead of having an actual nipple reconstructed to just having the tattooing done. And I think that's, a, you know, that's a very valid option. So, so I kind of lean more towards just the 3D nipple tattooing. I would say that if you're really going for the absolute most realistic, then surgical reconstruction of the nipple followed by 3D tattooing to add highlights and add some additional detail is probably the absolute best way to go. But the majority of my patients are getting just the 3D tattooing. I have always been amazed at the, how these look. I see a lot of reconstructed breasts and these nipples are really quite amazing. Yeah, um, it's, it's unbelievable what the tattoo artist can do. For sure. Anything else you think that people need to know about when they're thinking about a reconstruction? I think that one thing that's not always mentioned for all types of surgery is that we talk about expanders and implants, how it's one surgery for the mastectomy and at the same time having an expander put in and a second surgery for the expander to come out and the final implant to go in. And then for the deep flap, usually we try and get the main part of the reconstruction performed just at the same time as the mastectomy, meaning moving the belly tissue up to the breast at the same time. But I think it's also important for women to know that even though those are the main procedures, that there are secondary procedures that we commonly perform down the road. So unfortunately, no breast reconstruction or almost no breast reconstruction is done in just one single shot. Um, it's, it's very common to have little touch-ups done. And again, the nipple reconstruction. So we try and minimize the number of surgeries, but I think it's important for women to know that down the road, there are these little additional procedures that they may or may not need or that they may want to have done down the road. One last thing I wanted to touch on is what are your thoughts on them deciding to go flat at the beginning and then later on coming back to have a reconstruction? That's a good point. So women can definitely have no reconstruction at first. And if they choose that route, they can always come back later and undergo breast reconstruction procedure. Um, that's called delayed reconstruction. So again, super important for women that 
maybe in the past have decided not to have anything done, but now they do to know that there are options. The one thing I would say is for a woman who has not had a mastectomy yet, it's important for that patient to know that in general, the outcome, the aesthetics and the look of the breast are going to be better if they start some form of reconstruction at the same time as the mastectomy. Um, because you're you're preserving and being able to use that breath, the skin of their breast before scar tissue is formed and before that skin is tightened up a bit. So I do think that the that final outcome, the the look of the breast is much nicer if reconstruction started at the time of the mastectomy. That makes sense. Well, thank you so much for being here today. It was so nice to have you. That was great. Thank you. Well, thanks for having me, Deb. I really appreciate it. I think this is a great great podcast for for women to kind of get all those different aspects of breast reconstruction um, out there and known. And it's just, it's just an awesome job you're doing. Well, thanks so much. It was nice to talk with you today. Thanks for listening to Best Life After Cancer. Did you know you can get more information on my website, bestlifeaftercancer.com? There is also a Facebook page, Best Life After Cancer MD, where there is a group just for survivors. Here you are able to interact with me, ask questions, and get more help. I'd love to see you there. Have a great week, and I'll speak with you soon.